Welcome to Composers On Air, a podcast presented by Music Information Center Lithuania. I'm your host, True Rozaski. We'll be hearing conversations with living Lithuanian composers who will be giving us deeper insights into their music. With the innovative courage of modernism combined with the deeply focused ruthlessness of fine detail, Rabichkaita guides us through a journey ranging from her cultural roots of folk music to the most complex experiments and meticulous execution in electronic music. We're joining her today in a live video chat from Paris. This episode is brought to you by the Lithuanian Council for Culture and the Ministry of Culture of the Republic of Lithuania. So I wanted to welcome you to this episode of Composers On Air, and I just wanted to congratulate you on all of your successes and your awards and your relationships and collaborations with such fantastic ensembles, not only as a musical creator, but you know, really as a deep thinker. And as the creative process is always the heart of this podcast, I'm always interested in what I call the original impulse or seed of inspiration when sound became important to you. And as a person dedicated to music and a creative life, can you remember something that sparked an initial fire inside of you where you understood sound was important to you? I think that it's interesting how a human life develops from the beginning. And a lot of children have this, let's say, question about what the future will be. And sometimes for some people, it's very clear. And for some people, it isn't clear. And even for some people, it never becomes clear in their entire life. They may be in their 50s and think, I still don't know what I want to do with my life. And so this is about something that you can identify possibly as early as you can. Hello. True, thank you for inviting me for this podcast. So when I was little, I was very determined that uh, I want to be an artist. And um, I remember I would uh, paint a lot when I was four years old. And uh, for me, visual arts uh, were the only access to express my creativity because even though we had a piano at our place and my mom uh, taught me how to play it um, I, I still had uh, very little hands uh, unable to play what, what she was showing to me so I would try to invent uh, my own things uh, in order to make music sound but um, I always had this uh, a belief that um, composers are uh, the ones who have a calling very early in their life. So if you're not a Mozart who started composing at five, this is not uh, a life for you because composers are some kind of geniuses uh, that are who have this code of uh, somehow transmitting music, uh, some kind of prodigies. And so I thought that uh, it's not accessible for me. So even though I, um, I studied music, I, w- I was in a music school uh, early on. At the same time, I was also in art school. And I thought for like many years, I believed that it will be my career in uh, visual arts. 
And um, so I actually changed my mind uh, quite late. When I was 17, I realized that, uh, well, actually, one can create uh, music too. And uh, um, I was encouraged uh, by um, Lithuanian composer Donatas Prusevičius to write down uh, some of my improvisations. And one day I told him that I would love to p- pursue this career and... Uh, his answer to me was like, no, please don't do that. It's a very difficult uh, career path. You will be struggling. And uh, my answer to him was, I, I don't want a simple path in my life. I want a difficult path. <laughs> and so that's why he decided to present me to Oswaldas Balagowskis. I love that initial understanding of that having a strong visual connection that radiated out into this transformation. And so many of the visual arts and other related arts can really be connecting force to find the focus and to evolve into clarity what one needs to do. And so it's such an interesting idea. And I also read that you did have experience in improvisation. So improvisation was something that became a way to understand what's inside of you, not so much as an intellectual 
intake, but more an expressive in output or an expressive you know, way to connect something that's inside and get it out. So what about improvisation do you think is alive in that process of connecting your creative thinking? And, and maybe you can talk a little bit about the difference between how you understand improvisation and this idea of strict writing. Yes, so I only started to improvising in 2010 when I had this opportunity uh, to come uh, to study here in Paris um, at the conservatoire. I was very curious. I was 21 years old, uh, barely speaking French. But uh, I, I have decided like to take uh, all the classes that interest me and uh, something like improvisation doesn't demand uh, you to speak a lot of French. You just uh, follow your instincts and musicality. And uh, of course, my main in instrument uh, is voice because I actually uh, in music school, uh, I wasn't allowed to take classes of piano. That was my dream because I was considered to be too old at the time. Nine years old is you cannot become a concert pianist anymore. So at the time it was judged too late. So I, uh, I was in choir conducting class. And of course, I sang all my life. And uh, in Paris, when I came to this uh, improvisation class, I was uh, shocked. How come uh, musicians uh, come together and uh, start improvising, playing in little groups, listening to each other, experimenting, everything was possible. Uh, there was no taboo and uh, we had uh, great teachers uh, guiding us into this world. So I, I discovered that, that I can express myself with my voice in a, in a theatrical manner, but also it gave me more contact with musicians that are willing to experiment, musicians who are uh, very open to contemporary music and um, improvisation uh, like really gives an opportunity to be surprised. Yes, and you've spoken before about the idea of wishing to be experimental and for the reason of being a participant in what is the music of our time or a current perspective and not so much to gravitate toward tradition from the past. And so this risk and courage to jump in to the creative process as experimental persons, somebody that's wishing to question forms and designs and really challenge yourself to push yourself in a very complex way has led your life creatively into an almost calculated process that you put a lot of energy into forming a lot of details, gaining strength from the experimental nature and finding that you have to invest a lot of intellectual work. And so when thinking about inspiration and impulses for your process, are the experimental calculations first or do you have emotional forms in mind and then maybe apply electronics? What comes first? Thanks to improvisation, actually, me writing a score is in opposition of improvisation. 
because um, when I would find myself in situations when I'm improvising with amazing top level musicians and I would feel like, oh, this music is extraordinary. But uh, of course, the difference is that improvisation is only possible in that moment, that place. You cannot ever repeat it again. It is uh, as it is uh, collective uh, creativity that happens once. And even though it's extraordinary, you cannot repeat it again. But when a composer should ask a, a question, like why something that I'm writing on the paper is worth uh, to be repeated again and again. So thanks to all this experience in improvisation, I thought the responsibility that rests on my shoulders in writing a score is that I'm not supposed to improvise in writing a score. I'm not supposed to record the emotions of me as, as sitting uh, by this table today because I'm searching for something even more meaningful than the way I feel today, something more meaningful than just to express myself. Yeah, so this feeling of music being alive in the moment and being meaningful is important. There is a connection, I think, in improvisation and experimentation. In a sense, it's a similar word when you're working with computers and electronics. And I wanted to mention also, you know, this living abroad and cross-cultural awareness and reinterpreting how you're experiencing culture 
and also being in an uh, environment where experimentation is, I think, at the highest level at IRCAM. And IRCAM is the Institute of Research and Experimentation for Music in Paris. And I know you've been working there in your course and have been working with others to realize experimental ideas. And so in the same way, when you improvise, you have a range of possibilities. In electronics and experimentation, in electronic environment, you're also working with a lot of variables and a lot of experimenting, you could say, like improvisation. Also, I wanted to add that the model of IRCAM having to do with having a musical assistant like Jean Louchard, who I actually worked with 20 years ago. So it was amazing to hear his name come up again and he's still there doing it. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship of how you work with a musical assistant at IRCAM to realize work? First of all, coming back to improvisation, I would like to say that uh, for me, being in Paris, being surrounded by uh, musicians, uh, having some projects abroad, experimenting uh, with uh, performers, is really important to create my own language. For example, I love using singing voice uh, while playing a flute or a phonium. And this is a technique that you need to experiment with a musician. But once you have a grasp uh, what kind of effect uh, it uh, creates, uh, of course, then you can use it in your scores, which are maybe very structural and calculated, but also has uh, these effects that uh, I can only use uh, thanks to musicians that I collaborate with. Yes, with electronics, uh, there is a little difference uh, for me, when I start working on a white page, writing a score for an ensemble, I feel like I'm starting from nothing. In opposition, uh, when I work with electronics, where I work with uh, maybe pre-recorded sounds or uh, uh, sounds I create on computer. So this is uh, another situation when you have a direct feedback. And uh, of course, you make uh, much more choices empirically while listening to the sounds and experimenting uh, and uh, listening again. Like for me, it is even easier to work like that because you feel less alone than uh, writing on a white uh, page isolated at your home. But Curso um, Sercam was an amazing year for me because in, in one year I learned so much. Uh, the year when I, when I learned the most in my life, it was very intense. And um, of course, we, we were learning about acoustics, about uh, programming. And I had this privilege to work with Jean Lochard. And um, so for the first time, um, I had an opportunity to work on electronics part that wasn't born of this uh, feedback when I record something and listen back. But instead, I, I was working with uh, resonators, so I would uh, program the frequencies that I wanted to hear. So like writing the score, I would start from an idea, maybe arithmetical idea or acoustic idea, program it, and then only later you can hear the result. And for my courses piece, I was interested in um, researching the subject of uh, vibrational modes of uh, membranes, of plates. And I have chosen to write a piece for uh, snare drums. So thanks to the collaboration with uh, Jean Lochard, we calculated uh, frequencies that correspond to the inner harmony of a snare drum. 
And uh, so I spent a lot of time uh, during my courses here just programming, uh, writing um, thousands of lines uh, with parameters including frequency, uh, decay, etc. But Jean Lachar was my teacher who helped me to correct the patch. But I was the one uh, creating the patch because Cursus IRCAM is trying to make composers autonomous. So I didn't have this luxury to have a, a realizateur informatique musical, the assistant, that would help me to produce sound. It wasn't the case. I was, it was my own responsibility to create everything myself. But um, recently I had a commission from IRCAM. And uh, for the first time in my life, in, in a few months, I will start working with a real assistant. And uh, I can't wait to, to start describing what I'm really interested in so that he could help me out to liberate myself from the limits that I have, uh, what I'm able to program myself. And I'm sure I will learn uh, so much. So there's a traditional song form in Lithuania called Sutartines, and it's a canonic form that was used in very old times, and sometimes composers are utilizing this form for their own music. Can you talk about your work with using Sutartines? First of all, uh, Sutartines is truly inspiring for me because this is one of the rare examples of a woman creating music. In the Christian tradition, women composers uh, were suppressed, uh, erased, their names were changed, and we, we don't have a lot of examples of uh, feminine creation. And, uh, for example, Vita Grodita, in her articles uh, that were even published here in France, she speaks about it being one of the rare examples where uh, the tradition of women creating music survived because Sutartinas are mostly sang by women, like almost entirely sang by women. Uh, the, the process of uh, singing Sutartinas is uh, fascinating for me because it's a lot of repetition and uh, actually the ending of Sutartinas really depends on that uh, first person who starts uh, singing it who uh, sings the words that are then repeated by other singers, and it only ends when the first singer runs out of words. And she is free to invent new words. So this can really lead to magical experience of a woman creating a trance and singing uh, non-stop uh, for a very long time. And... Uh, it is also believed to be a syncretic art, and this is one of the arguments uh, that uh, Sturtinas are really archaic, because it was not only sang, but also danced. Uh, in Lithuania, we do say that uh, Sturtine is uh, in our DNA, and I believe that uh, many Lithuanian composers, uh, they, they have uh, this inspiration from uh, Sturtinas, because this is like um, so natural for us. Uh, for example, when I was a kid, I would hear Sturtinas, I would sing Sturtinas myself. So already this uh, may be a little dissonant uh, sounding for today's ears because it's a lot of uh, parallel uh, seconds. And I also read articles uh, proving that actually the singers, uh, they search for an intonation in order to create a roughness. 
so the intonation is also quite special and uh, it's always two voices clashing with each other and uh, this repetition, uh, circular motion. But I do recognize a lot of these traits in my music and uh, I think that probably it came uh, into my music without my knowledge, but uh, today I recognize that uh, for example, I use a lot of in my music. Rarely you can hear only one voice. It's like always like a duo playing together, and um, repetition with non-stop repetition uh, with no process of development, but just staying in this state. And also in my harmonical thinking, I'm I do develop of quite uh, sophisticated harmony maps of. Uh, these fake uh, spectrums that are created uh, not according to acoustic laws but with uh, arithmetics but there are some intervals that I really love uh, employing that are neither major nor minor intervals like seconds uh, in quarter tones and uh, I really love this rough sound that it creates because then there's a very little difference between uh, frequencies then all magical things are happening, the illusion of beatings, the illusions of uh, virtual uh, fundamental, and uh, this is the, the topic that I studied at Cursus Circam, but uh, I employ it in, in my scores uh, for a while now, and because Thirteenus is also vocal art, and uh, I think it's really something so, so special, and uh, I, I like presenting to the foreigners uh, to Startinas because uh, they are, they feel uh, that uh, this is something uh, magical uh, and extraordinary. So-
Yes, and this cultural identity and how this shapes and this introduction of the melody and then the clashing of the intervals, it's just like the pattern of your life creatively. And then this freedom at the end, you know, it's so interesting and it's so congruous to what you do. And you talk a little bit about, in your writings about timbre and timbre for those that don't understand the word musically, just the quality of sound, and then how you're relating that to your idea of harmony. And then you're really trying to use electronics and the physical modeling software to find a way of getting inside the instrument or feeling so close to it that the listener experiences almost this feeling of intimacy or a psychological connection to what it might be like to even say living inside the snare drum. And so it's interesting, but it's also a commitment to really getting the most out of the situation and then also adding other elements like transducers that pick up the sound and process it and creating live feedback in real time so that the performer has a relationship as well. I think the piece that you're speaking of is called Pulsating Skin. So like this piece where you're having four snare drums and electronics, and this is a recent piece for 2021, and you have snare drums that are radiating really like mechanical pulses, thinking about things like the city and maybe even nature. And so you're bringing some of this feeling and experience into the mix, integrating really space relationships and also using different ways of connecting sound and things like super balls or bows or crotalis, even metal chains, to get as much out of the situation as you can. And I think it really speaks to this idea of new music and finding a direct connection between the intellectual process and a way to express it with a new medium. And I think you've also been very clear about not wanting to use the past, but and I mentioned this a bit earlier, but it's interesting that you have a fascination with the medieval world, and this is an inspiration as well. So, you know, in, in the history of Europe, we could call it the Middle Ages, but we're, we're talking about 5th century to 15th century, about a thousand years. But near the end of that period is what they call the Age of Discovery. So there's this place in history that has become very important to you, the fall of the, the Roman Empire and transitioning into this Renaissance and discovery period that became interesting to you. Can you talk a little bit about this historical period and why you connected to it? Okay, first I will tell you a few words about uh, snare drum because uh, a snare drum uh, was an instrument that I found uh, completely devoid of interest. For me, the image of a snare drum is uh, its military purpose. So I started using the snare drum uh, first in my scores uh, when I made some uh, experiments at home, uh, putting objects on a reverse snare drum and then using the wires of a snare drum uh, to saturate uh, the sounds of these objects. 
so wrote pieces like uh, designation and expulsion and then I started using uh, snare drum in ensemble pieces so for me it was uh, a discovery to see that uh, there are ways to prepare an instrument to uh, combine uh, some a few instruments together in order to create a completely new hybrid sound so when I started the uh, Cursus Ercam and um, I found uh, all this theoretical knowledge about uh, vibrational modes, which look uh, fascinating uh, visually also, and uh, already Chladni in 18th century made uh, some fascinating experiments where one can visualize the vibration of, uh, of different plates when one puts, uh, for example, sand and uh, makes some sound uh, vibrate and then we see these amazing mandalas happening thanks to the frequencies. So for me it was really mysterious to dwell into and uh, that's why I studied all these uh, nodal lines that happens uh, in membranes and in plates. And um, so my interest with uh, snare drum uh, is, is something uh, completely new because I didn't like this instrument before and I felt the same uh, for example with a piano that is so attached to romantic tradition so these instruments that are so much linked to the past uh, they were scary for me and so of course if I decide to get out of my comfort zone and try to work with them I need to invent something uh, that is my own and uh, for the snare drum for example the piece I wrote uh, during Cursus Ercam so there is still a score uh, but everything is so theoretical like the big part of the piece is actually in this research that I made calculating thousands of frequencies and then how do I translate it also in percussionist part but um, pulsating skin another piece that I wrote just afterwards was created in Darmstadt summer course and I also went out of my comfort zone because for the first time not only I am one of the performers outdoors uh, playing uh, live electronics uh, alongside uh, musicians but also this was the first time that I only wrote down the instructions that help uh, for the musicians to create a, a synergy with an uh, electronics part that I actually call a sonic score because there is no score. There are instructions what uh, musicians can choose to do. For example, in one part I have very low frequencies that um, somehow resembles uh, winds coming from the snare drums. So uh, we were experimenting with that and we found out that Super Bowl can really imitate the sound and then we can create dialogues like that. But actually, electronics part, uh, if in Cursus Ercam I created electronics with uh, subtraction, with um, resonators. So in uh, for Darmstadt summer course, uh, I took even like easier path. I only created additional synthesis and there is nothing more than that. So also started with a limited approach and then I was searching for illusions that comes from accumulation of all these frequencies and uh, so there are parts in this piece that I call crickets because it uh, makes me think about it and uh, when I went to Darmstadt I would hear crickets in the city and I thought that oh this is perfect <laughs> to imitate the place we are in and uh, some noises during the performance we would hear cars uh, 
and uh, some noises in electronics would also somehow dialogue with it. So this piece, Pulsating Skin, is uh, it comes like more from this world of improvisation because there is no score. I work directly with musicians, and uh, this year when I was um, artist in residence at Villa Valberta, I had uh, an opportunity to uh, work with a, a percussion player from the ensemble Der Gelbe Klang, who was interested in creating a new version of this piece for one performer and a quartet of snare drums. But uh, to make it more interesting, we combined uh, the quartet from different sizes of the snare drums. So tiny snare drum, a little bigger, normal, and he even created a bass snare drum for the project. So I would uh, calculate all the frequencies according to the diameter of the snare drums. And <laughs> so... Um, this interest in vibrational modes and uh, physical models, uh, also one of the biggest inspirations is that actually the visualization of uh, these theories exists. So you can uh, see these geometrical shapes and it's really beautiful. And for me, it's very appealing to research something that is also beautiful to observe. And uh, my interest in medieval times uh, absolutely comes from this uh, research of a beauty in geometry, in, in proportions. But uh, I, I limited myself, my interest in a quite uh, tiny part of uh, medieval times in Europe, uh, the very end, especially 14th century. Because um, at the end of uh, 14th century, the art subtilior uh, style was uh, created just in particular places of Europe, just for like 10 or 20 years, it was practiced under very particular conditions where singers and composers had the luxury of experimenting and creating something so avant-garde that even today it sounds avant-garde. But this kind of music wasn't supposed to be heard by the normal audience. It was them uh, performing to each other, making uh, encoded uh, pictures in manuscripts. But when you research these manuscripts, like uh, Codex Chantilly today, it looks uh, very contemporary.
So this idea of creating a musical language and the uh, composer Shurunos Nakas has written that it's complicated, but it's clear and it's readable. And I think it's a quite a compliment to approach something as abstract as electronic music, but at the same time having an, an intention to find beauty in it. it. Very similar to going to Darmstadt and trying to find beauty in nature, there's definitely something going on that's taming the tendency that people have when they work intellectually through electronics to forget the idea of their musical language in terms of how it's communicated to the audience and that this intention of finding a state of beauty you wouldn't think it's intellectual but it is a destination somehow and the destination and the intention are connected in some way as well and i think a lot of people think well you know in 2013 when you wrote Chartres and you won the debut of the year award in Lithuania. This was 2013, so this is almost 10 years ago, writing for orchestra conducted by Karolis Variakoyas. And that world of what the audience may think of as accessible is very different than this world, even though, you know, you have the design there, you have the intention there. My question is, how do you view the audience accessibility when you're working in this type of technical form? It doesn't matter if I write a, a score or if I work with uh, electronics. Always the departure uh, for creating something new for me is uh, a choice of a concept which is normally quite reduced. And uh, I always try to, to stay as faithful to the concept as I can. Sometimes even when I'm struggling, even if I think like, well, maybe it isn't working, but still I continue trying. So, for example, the concept of a Chartres uh, for string orchestra. It was my diploma piece in 2012 uh, that I wrote actually when I came back after my Erasmus experience here in Paris. I came back to Lithuania to, for this last year of my studies at the uh, Lithuanian Academy of Music. So um, the departure for this piece was just a simple uh, proportion of four numbers. And then I was uh, searching for all the ways how to express this proportion in all the parameters of a piece, uh, being it uh, a pitch, uh, rhythm, form, um, decisions of uh, sections, uh, etc. And... Um, this also translates into my creation in electronics music uh, because I continue working with numbers. So every piece I write has uh, like a hidden or not hidden because I like to speak about it, a formula that governs the piece. In the past, I thought that this is how I try to hide myself, not to put too much of myself, of my emotional being into music. But um, recently I, I started to think that uh, already the choice, this choice uh, to write this music in this disciplined, uh, structured way also represents uh, the way I live my life, the way I want to uh, spend my daily life, uh, maybe waking up at the same hour and starting composing uh, 
early in the morning and uh, trying to find a state where I'm uh, completely concentrated on my composition and experiencing it uh, on a daily basis. And then uh, trying to write a music that uh, in my dreams uh, maybe could uh, even somehow affect the unconsciousness of uh, someone listening to it.
I think also on an inner struggle level that you're working on this challenge of comfort and wanting to find a way to basically, I won't say avoiding comfort, but I was thinking of this piece, Toro, and I was thinking that there's a pattern of building up and then tearing down, like the freedom one feels of creating something perfect and then having to understand that it's not permanent anymore. In Tibetan Buddhism, they have the idea of building a perfect world or a mandala and then tearing it down so that you understand that there's an impermanence about something. But also in this video piece of the flute Incantare, there's this fight and almost chasing, and then the video camera actually turns around and attacks or confronts the listener in a way. So it's this kind of push and pull, create, tear down. There's an inner struggle going on somewhere in between. And I'm just wondering what about this is attractive to you? This is very beautiful what you just said about mandala, true, that uh, the process of uh, creating a mandala is some kind of purification that uh, monks are going through. And they are purifying the city where the mandala is made. And once it's finished, uh, people observe it for a while and then it's washed away in the river. And uh, there is this tradition of mandala creating, so it can be probably reproduced again but it's not supposed to last it's not supposed to be an object and um, this is something interesting in music as well because you cannot really sell music as an object music only exists when we play it it only exists in, in the hands of musicians right our scores are not yet objects of art to be sold with signatures the two pieces that you just evoked both Toro and Incantare were written working closely with the musicians because they both heavily uh, founded on uh, this technique of uh, both uh, singing and playing into the instrument. But we both also have uh, inspirations that uh, come from outside. For example, in piece Toro, it's, it's very delicate, but in, uh, in the tape part, I use uh, the recording from Corrida that was made uh, by the musician uh, Vienne de Plante, uh, who plays the piece, because his musical education very early on uh, was built in uh, tor in uh, Corrida tournaments. So then I uh, started listening to him producing uh, these sounds uh, when he sings and plays uh, at once. I thought like, oh, it, it really sounds animalistic. So for me, of course, it, it evokes uh, some kind of struggle and uh, I wanted to explore these sounds. Uh, and, and in Encantare, which was written a few years uh, on, at the time, um, in 2018, I call it my magical years because I was very interested in the topic of magic. It was the year when I discovered uh, this book of uh, Daiva Vatikavicene, Lithuanian Verbal Healing Charms. And uh, I found it so inspirational just to read the charms, uh, to read the categorization that she created. And I felt uh, so close to this Lithuanian uh, pagan tradition that in other parts of Europe is uh, completely forgotten. And uh, in Encantare, in I actually I started writing Encantare with my own voice, improvisating uh, with my own voice, recording 
starting to create uh, the tape. And then uh, the, the flutist uh, Claire Lucans would come to my place and I would make her listen to electronics and we would try out the sounds in the flute that uh, could be some, in some way imitation what I was doing with my voice. So of course she used a lot of her voice inside the instrument as well and she's known as a very good uh, in this technique of singing and playing at once. So I was so happy uh, in order to, so that I was free to try out anything I wanted. And in Encantare, so I use some verbal healing charms that are in Lithuanian, so for everyone it sounds so mysterious because so few people can access to what is said. But these charms, sometimes they are quite aggressive because the person saying the charm, contrary to what a prayer is, when you ask some kind of intermediary or God to help you heal, in the case of uh, saying charms, uh, the charmer is in a powerful position to maybe say to an illness, uh, go away and maybe call it bad names. And it's sometimes uh, very aggressive and uh, I, I loved it about this tradition. So that's true that in Encantara there is this moment when if in the beginning a cameraman is following the flutist at, at the end, flutists turn and start pushing the, the cameraman away because its part becomes so uh, so powerful that it, it pushes uh, us, the audience, uh, to the limits. Thank you. 
Yeah, and I also like how it changes the perspective of the viewer. So it sometimes when it's too one-dimensional in terms of focus and you play with that by turning it around, so all of a sudden there's this assault and you have to confront it. It's also a style of listening or paying attention. You've also done it with a listening apparatus we call headphones, which is how most people are listening to music these days in reality. So transduced was realized in binaural for experimentation of getting the three-dimensional sound in the headphone experience. Can you say a little bit about what binaural is and why you decided to do that? In Cursus Sercam, program actually last 10 months and I started in September 2019 and in our class we, we spent months learning new programs in order to become more independent and using them for our final courses piece but in March unexpectedly in 2020 a pandemic came and our class, instead of uh, going to Irkam every day working in studios, was uh, isolated at home. And uh, I was lucky to have uh, transducers with me at home. I was lucky to have uh, snare drums, but I only had a stereo. And uh, in order to listen to speakers, it was just two speakers. And um, the piece that we were writing was to, supposed to be multi-channel and uh, at least eight uh, speakers. So in order to uh, work with specialization, which in my piece was very important because I'm, I wanted to push uh, this idea of vibrational modes even further and use its visual expression where each uh, partial of uh, harmony of a snare drum has a visual expression being it a cross or three circles I wanted to also express it in specialization. So how do you experiment uh, with that, uh, having very limited uh, access to technology at home? So uh, Jean Locher, my teacher, helped me to create uh, simulations of uh, specialization, being it a binaural or even transaural. So I worked at home like that and uh, at the end, the concert, uh, the final concert needed to be cancelled because uh, in summer it was still at a lot of uh, restrictions uh, concerning COVID. And the decision was made instead of a concert to have our pieces filmed. And um, this is not us the students deciding to use a binaural sound, but uh, Irkam who wanted to, to give access for people listening on YouTube to experience all this work that we put in uh, with specialization because uh, uh, they were lacking this experience of a concert. So um, we learned uh, with Erkam Technologies how to produce uh, this binaural sound that helps you to imagine that uh, actually you are in a concert hall, that uh, there is uh, the system of filtering of uh, head, skull, uh, nose, uh, things like that, uh, that uh, gives you this illusion that uh, you are completely immersed uh, in the sound surrounding you. I think it's wonderful that you did that at that time. You know, you really leaned into the isolation aspect of the listener and enhanced the experience by using technology. 
for those in the audience, now's the time to put on your headphones. So if you're, you know, listening to this podcast in the kitchen or in your car, you'll have to come back to this when you have your headphones on so you can experience it fully. But this idea of connecting a real commitment to clarity around finding a narrative in style and in process of getting yourself continuing to create and continuing to move forward. It's so inspiring how you embrace electronics and that you're really not feeling that it's an object, a foreign object, but more of, you're actually thinking of electronics as an instrument. It's an instrumental metaphor. You know, you're working with something that many people think is very abstract or just saying it's a computer or how people view, you know, laptops on stage. But actually, these are instrumental and distinct bodies of potential where you're really experiencing them like instruments. Electronics is like with no limits. You could do anything. And uh, that's why it's even more important to, to create your own limits because uh, if no, you risk uh, creating something like too maximalistic. This is what I actually don't like in music when people put too many ideas. Uh, for me, it's uh, important to stay truthful to a s simple idea that you're able to explore instead of creating contradictions and, and contrast. And this is the biggest danger in electronics because you can do anything. You can, 
use uh, voices of uh, anyone uh, combined with uh, synthetic sounds and uh, it can become uh, a bit uh, schizophrenic as well. Yes, but in the end, what you've managed to do was to create beautiful music and actually find beauty. As a last question, I wanted to ask you what is going on in your most current projects and what we as an audience had to look forward to in the near future. Yes, so I just finished my piece for Ensemble Court Circuit, which will be a premiere in Paris this month. And uh, this is the first time that I wrote a long piece. Uh, it will be 25 minutes long and I never had this luxury. I would, on maximum, my, my pieces will be like 13 minutes long. And uh, this was a big commission. And uh, I think this is the tendency uh, of my career now because uh, all my future pieces will be something like that, uh, 25 minutes long. Uh, the next commission I have is with... Uh, IRCAM and uh, Center of Baroque Music in Versailles. So I will be also writing 25 minutes of music for children's choir and uh, electronics. And it will be performed at the Royal Chapel in Versailles and also in newly renovated IRCAM Hall. There will be acoustic copy of Royal Chapel inserted in the hall of IRCAM. So I think I will be learning a lot, especially thanks to this opportunity to, to work with an assistant of Irkam. And also this is challenging because I will be writing contemporary music for children who in their life only performed Baroque music of 18th century French Baroque music. So very limited, but also they have a very particular timbre and uh, I heard them sing, I already wrote them some sketches and uh, um, I'm sure it will be a really beautiful combination. And the other project I have uh, is in, in Finland with uh, ancient instruments, uh, uh, harpsichord, uh, portative organ and harp. Uh, combined together with a dance project, so also 25 minutes of music. So this is uh, something like a new uh, era for me with these commissions uh, that uh, will give me an opportunity to develop uh, something into a longer format. Well, we certainly look forward to all of that. It sounds pretty exciting. The uh, new hall, is it going to be in the same location? Yes, and actually it was already used for projection of Xenakis, but we're still finishing up <laughs> things. And uh, this hall is special because it can transform itself. It can be programmed to reflect, deflect uh, sounds in different manners. So I visited the Royal Chapel of Versailles uh, already, and uh, of course it's... Uh, uh, reverberated but it also has uh, different spots where sounds uh, travel differently and uh, the whole team of IRCAM uh, made good care to, to record that in order to reproduce these acoustics in, in Paris. That's so exciting. I wanted to close again with a Sharunas Nakas, a quote from Nakas about you and what he says is Ravachkaita's musical language is complicated but clear and readable. Gravitational waves ruling a piece determine ruthlessnesses of this aesthetics, and there's no attempt to daydream or spend any time in a state of beauty. It's an intellectual move 
whose orbit is drawn with the sharpest pencil. I just think it really succinctly characterizes, you know, what this individual is, you, creating this world of music for everyone. So thank you so much for participating in this podcast. Really appreciate you doing this. Thank you. It was such a nice talk. Like for me, every time uh, someone uh, writes uh, something about my music, especially someone as Sharuna Snagas, for me, it's it's also an inspiration because uh, there are things that I maybe don't uh, verbalize in my work. When someone puts my approach to work into words, uh, it is also quite uh, inspirational that uh, it is... Uh, other people uh, are aware of that and this is something worth staying true to.